0: What do you think it takes to be one of the best gliders in the world in ski racing? Well on today's show you're going to find out from Manny Osborne Parody. Four-time Olympian, multiple World Cup winner and now dad and ski coach. So I got to meet Manny in Quebec recently and sort of do some skiing with him and, and sit down and chat and get to know this guy and I got to say I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. He is a really entertaining guy, he skis fantastic, and he's just got a wealth of knowledge which I was lucky enough and you're lucky enough to hear from. So as well as learning about the nuances of, of gliding, maintaining speed on a flat ski, because he's from the, uh, the speed discipline in ski racing, you'll hear his thoughts on deleting too much information. So when he works with people, sometimes it's, it's actually about getting rid of stuff than giving them more which is a fantastic approach, I think. Uh, You'll also hear from him about the massive collection of World Cup skiers helmets, and these are top-level athletes like Marcel Hirscher, Michaela Schifrin. He's got a massive collection of signed helmets, which is pretty cool. You'll also discover that he recently did his Canadian Level 4 instructing certificate and went through that process after sort of coming to a point where he'd had an injury, pretty serious one to his leg. And you know, what is he gonna do? So I think that part is fascinating to him going from the world of ski racing into the world of instructing and, and what he learned from that. I really hope you enjoy this episode with Manny Osborne parody and you get some great takeaways and it helps to improve your skiing. Just one final thing. If you've not heard of big picture skiing, big picture skiing is my project It's my company, it's what I do. It was born in the COVID era. And the idea is to bring every bit of information that I've learned over the years as a ski coach to you in video format, lessons on bumps, carving, equipment, basics, drills, everything. The things that I find really help others improve when I go and ski with them, I turn those into videos and I make them really digestible and easy to understand. So you can go take that information and improve your skiing. So if you haven't checked it out, please do, bigpictureskiing.com. We also have an iOS and Android app now, which makes things much more easy to use, download offline, screencast to your TV, lots of other cool things. So yeah, thanks for checking it out. And thanks for those who already subscribed to Big Picture Skiing. And as a thanks for listening, you can use the code PODCAST at checkout, and that will take 25% off any subscription. Let's get started with this show. Hey, Manny. So, I found out from you, you have the largest collection of signed World Cup skiers' helmets that you're still building. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, man, that's correct. Uh, I do. I do know of one other person. Uh, His name is uh, Greg Meraki. I shout out to him because he's also put in some time and effort into collecting a helmet collection. And I think his is pretty vast. It's. Uh, it's definitely nowhere near the size of mine, but, um, I have some unfair advantage as I'm friends with most of the racers. So, uh, yeah, it was something that started, uh, I was at Marco Buchel's house one time just between Vengen and Kitzbühel. And then we had a day and I had stopped over at his place and he had this beautiful helmet that he had gotten painted and he had just gotten a new one and he was like, check out my new helmet. And he's showing me like his new helmet. It's great. All that stuff. And he's like, what do you think? It's kind of better than my old one. And he showed me his old one, which was also super sweet. And I was holding it. And then he like, he took it and he literally handed it to him and he chucked it in the garbage can. And I was like, Oh, dude, you're throwing that in the in the trash. And coming from Canada, uh, we like cherish goalie helmets, like uh, NHL oh, goalie helmets think. are like a huge thing. They're, they're the the biggest collector cards and hockey cards and it's like a real thing and they they personalize paint their helmets and i it was kind of through the era of like all the racers all of a sudden started painting their helmets and it started with fritz strobel he painted the uvex green helmet he had his like his signature shiny shiny green helmet so i was like oh i'll have your helmet he was like what do you want my helmet for i was like i don't know just sign it let's just see And I went around and I started asking a couple other racers and like, next thing you know, I had like 20 and I hadn't gone home from Europe yet. I just like asked some guys, I'm like, Hey, do you guys have helmets? Hey, you want to sign those to me? And they were like, yeah. And so then I had to start like asking my teammates and stuff to be packing helmets in their bags because helmets take up a lot of room when they're just multiple helmets. So yeah. And it grew from there.
0: And, And the collection is how many?
1: Man, I would have to dig into my closet because they're deep in my closet. There's, there's not, uh, it's gotten, I mean, when I was racing, there was nothing like where to put, you know, I was building a, a trophy case instead of a helmet case.
0: Like that, that photo you showed me, is that all of them or? No. Oh, no. What?
1: No, okay. no, 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 no. That, that was just, I put them out at one point. Cause I was like, I need to track what racers I have helmets from. And which and ones I don't.
0: You, like there's Michaela Schifrin, Marcel Hersher.
1: Oh no, it's everybody. It's everybody. It's, it's uh okay, so yeah, so sorry, I should like get into it a little bit where where the the criteria to be uh <laughs>
0: In your in,
1: in the helmet, um, you have to have a World Cup podium. Okay. You just need one. But you have to have one uh i think that there's probably only like one or two people that only have one for the most part i have the best racers because you had to have your helmet painted i didn't just take a helmet so for your helmet to be painted you were top 15 top 10 in the world and then you know the helmet companies and yourself would go and get it painted personalized painted and stuff you know kill day uh he still hasn't given me one because he didn't have a painted helmet for a long time and he kept being like here's my helmet i'm like dude you'll get a painted one and i actually bugged him at lake louise this year because i was like okay dude you're pretty good now i mean you've won the overall and all that stuff (laughs) during this pandemic time you know maybe it's time i i bug you for a helmet
0: yeah okay cool
1: um
0: so i mean starting off with that funny thing on onto some more like sort of into you what you've been up to lately The pandemic hit, you had an injury. Can you just tell us what that injury was and then what the decision was, why you decided to go and do your Canadian level four instructor certificate? Injury.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the injury was super unfortunate, as all injuries are. Uh, I was at Lake Louise. It was the first race of the season, and you know I was skiing really fast. And you know one of the issues with skiing really fast is you can crash. And I, I've noticed that in, in steps through the racing, my racing career, and other people's, is as they start getting faster, you almost you need to be able to ski at that new speed that you have for a little bit of time to get have that be your new reference point of speed. And I was skiing very fast and, uh, and I just hadn't quite locked in that new speed that I had where it was, where it had become safe. Um, I really saw that and I, and I crashed in the first training run, unfortunately. And, uh, yeah, almost lost my leg. It was a Shatsker five break, uh, which pretty much destroyed my tibia plateau. And, um, yeah, 13 surgeries later, uh, they rebuilt my bone and, uh, they put a hip. Uh, I, I got an arthritic hip in my leg, and then they took my the rest of my bone and ground it down and uh, created bone cement with that, and then went in and, and packed it all around, and then later attached my leg, uh, my uh, my meniscus and I don't know. I, I'm wow. skiing today. How's it going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like yes, seriously. Well,
0: um, okay. So so you were telling me on the chairlift uh, and for context Manny and I here we've just finished day 3 of this sort of ultimate ski congress uh that Onnea and Warren Jobert organized and so we've had some time to chat over some drinks and and in the car and stuff yeah so so you then what what you were like what am i going to do
1: so you do yeah so i do my level 4 uh it didn't start out obviously like I'm gonna do my level four. I actually really didn't know that how many levels there even was <laughs> yeah. in in ski instructing or anything, but I knew that I had a long. I, when you're racing, uh, well, first let's let's back up a little bit. I almost got back to racing. Okay. I was very close to jumping back on the tour. I was strong. I was feeling good. My knee was had a couple of screws that were bugging me. And I went in to get the screws that were bugging me out of my knee. And when they went in, they noticed that I desperately needed meniscus surgery. So they did that while I was under. And when I woke up, it was like, oh, you're not going to Europe in like six weeks. You're now like six months right. to eight months not skiing anymore. And that was like, okay, now I'm going to miss two ski seasons. Okay, that's... the you know, coffin shut for sure. Uh, Then pandemic hit, you know, trying to rehab, trying to do all that stuff, trying to get the physio, the adequate physio and the training and everything. It just, it was a rehabber's nightmare. And so that was just kind of, that was it. And so I had to make the decision and, and uh, uh, it was kind of, it was pretty easy decision to make at that point. I mean, it's, it was, uh, the writing was on the wall and it was already kind of a far stretch to get back, but you know as as when you're an athlete i mean you you deal with with uh you know th- issues that you have to persevere and you know you just keep your head down and you do that you know you don't question the if or 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 you don't question if you can achieve something or how possible it is you just always have the mentality that it is possible and if nobody else has done it, why can't I? And uh, so I, you know, I it just had my my head down and I, I just kept training and and rehabbing. And you know, I got pretty close. Luckily, because once this other surgery, I mean, like every surgery, you're back to square one. So, but I had a lot of muscle mass, which which has helped me throughout this whole process. So yeah, then I um I don't know. I was looking around. I was like, oh yeah, the coaching certifications, those are cool. Um, but like I. I don't know. I don't really want to coach. I don't need to stand on the side of the lines of any race course. And I don't really want to travel as a team anymore or whatever. And I was just thinking, what kind of incentive uh, do I need to just get back to skiing? And I thought, man, like what I actually need to do is I need to find the love of skiing again. And what's that? What's that look like? And uh, I was talking to a buddy and he said, well, why don't you do your ski instructor? And I was like, oh man, like what a novel idea. For a racer and everything and uh, so I phoned up the the head of CSIA and I was like hey what does this look like if I want to do um, you know th- my level four you're starting in an academy can I do that and he was like you totally can but there's also all these other levels that you have to do and I got more information and things looked things were looking great though because you know it it's it's internationally recognized it's like very cool as I talk to more and more people in the ski industry I mean I'm so uh, entrenched in the race part of of side of this world that I didn't really know this like the ski school side and and just how uh, dominating it is in, in every market in skiing and plus just how many great skiers there are in our country that are in this in this uh, like, they've gone down this the ski, tech, technical skiing, ski
0: instructing route to get to being a good skier, all round skier, as opposed to the, the racing route of things. Is that what you're sort of getting at? Like, there's this whole batch of people you
1: didn't... Yeah, I had no idea they existed. I mean, we're yeah. still... I mean, you, all week this week, you've been, like, people, everybody around here, yammering in names. Oh, you know this person. He's been around for 40 years. I'm like, man, I know nobody. <laughs> like, what are you talking about, right? Yeah. So, then... Uh, yeah, I I chatted with CSIA and I thought, okay, this is, what a great opportunity. Middle of pandemic, like got me out of the house. Uh, we were able to travel out of our little bubbles in Canada to like the next ski resort to be training outside and all this stuff. And, and it was going to get me out on snow. And I, um, I, I showed up to, I didn't have to do my level one exam. I'm not even actually sure if there's an exam for level one or, or, okay. So I showed up to the days that I had to learn how to put kids skis on and stuff yep. like that. And, uh, and I quickly recognized, you know, this is just, the way to do this is obviously to be open and learn. And it just kind of, I think lots of people just assumed as an athlete, I, w- I would just be better, be above all of this stuff. But um, I feel like that's what I learned most as an athlete is you you're always around experts. People know so much more about everything around you other than you just know how to go fast on skis. So you actually put your tail between your legs all the time, so you can you can you can gain information and gain knowledge from all these experts around, right? So uh, I did it. You know, maybe a little different tail wag when you're just hanging out putting kids skis on, but that was okay. And uh, I did I passed my level two. I uh, did the level threes, but I didn't do the exam because uh, I had a level four uh, training camp during that. Um, so it was, I, I had, a, I guess I had a little bit more, uh, 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 what would I say? I had, um, uh, so, so I had a little bit more pressure in my level four yeah. examination because I was the only one there that if I didn't pass, I also went back down to a level two, <laughs> so you know, yeah. at least everybody else got to be level threes at the end of it. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, man, what a, what an amazing, you, level two was like, uh, opening. Uh, I did it actually with, uh, uh, one of the instructor was, the instructor was a buddy of mine in Invermere, Will Comrie. Uh, he was such a great instructor and I had such a wicked group of young ski instructors that still rip it up at Panorama and man, they're like, okay, like let's slide the turn. I was like, okay, like thinking I've got this. I was horrible. Like, I'd like to see-
0: Your body was just, it it just was not tuned over these years to slide and skid and steer a turn, right? You just, it was so ingrained to not do that.
1: Yeah, like I'd like to say, oh, I hadn't slid a turn in like 10 years or 15 years. I had like never (laughs) slid a turn, so, that was crazy. So that was like a crazy four days at the at the level two. And I was like, man, I might not pass this. And we went into bumps. And I'm looking at bumps like, again, mm. I don't know. Like, last time I ripped through bumps, I was like 12. You know, yeah. so what am I doing here? You know, like, I've just. and uh, You'd be much happier just straight lining.
0: Straight lining through the bumps. You can deal with that yeah, fine. But, no problem. But choosing a little slow path that. That someone could follow. Not.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely like a, a paradigm switch in my reality of what skiing is. But I tell you, like the end of the four days, I was like, "Whoa, man, I love skiing!" Like this is—I f- don't have to go fast. I love skiing, and I, you know, and I, I figured it out uh, what I needed to do, and um, yeah, it's not difficult. I mean, I had I had the the ability to figure out the the new balancing points and the edging and all of that stuff. And then, yeah, the level four exam was amazing. I mean, you know, I've, I'm kind of drawing out the story, but this—where like, did you do it? Uh, well, it was, it, so. Right now, it's there was it was four locations. So I had a I did one. Um, there was 16 days, and so I did four days at Lake Louise, uh, four days at Panorama, uh, four days at Sunshine, and. oh it might have been 12 might have been okay. 12 yeah. yeah i think that's man i was doing so many courses cuz i had yeah. to do all these other ones too yeah but uh, yeah so i trained all all winter i mean not not like every single day like i would with racing but you know i went into the bumps you know learned right. how to ski bumps like and uh, and re- yeah really did worked on on sliding the turns i went up and did morning sessions with the ski instructors and learned a lot from different, different ski instructors at Panorama, There's so much knowledge, wealth of knowledge with a bunch of the level fours, uh, a bunch of level threes that helped me get through my TD and just like, just a great group of individuals that were like around helping me ski. And they kept saying, well, oh man, I was going to go skiing with you. I thought, what am I going to teach Manny, you know? And I'm like, and then, and then we'd get into a great conversation. I could offer them some tips on like the top of the turn and what, you know, how to, how to really, generate speed in through the arc and then you know they would you know we'd go to the bumps and we it was like really awesome like we, we um it was a really collaborative approach of really figuring out like what two different worlds could collide and create a better skier yeah very cool very cool hey so uh today
0: this is day three of this coaching thing we've been swapping groups of people around and and i it, we've been laughing about it you know what did you do today with your group and you are like you uh you told them to like get rid of some stuff you got too much stuff in your head and i think that's something that a lot of people that get into the ski instructing game and or, or later in life pursue trying to become a better skier like how did you get to that point today you're like actually the benefit for these people is To show them how to get rid of that sort of stuff. How did it go? Can you speak to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, so I'm not teaching that often, and I I knew that this was the group that is now in the elite level four academy in Canada, and I saw them first run, and I was like, no, these guys are not. This is not. I actually I looked on my phone and looked at the list, and I was like, oh, did I maybe get a different group? These guys. Aren't the ones in the academy. And yeah. I was skiing down, I looked at my phone, and I was like, oh snap, like, uh, something's go- like, these guys have too much information. They were static, they were rotating, they were all staring at their skis, they were like, they had like six drills in their head. And we got to the bottom, and I'm like, oh man, like, not that I had too much of a plan because I really wanted to know what these guys were up to. But, you know, they couldn't even at the top before we even did our first run, they were having a hard time vocalizing, even what they were working on. And, you know, I was asking them what their strengths in skiing, What what's the foundation? Like, what, if you need to go back to the root of your skiing, like, what what's that look like? And they're like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm like, oh man, we're confused. Like, so we went up to the top and, and we just talked, I talked like as an athlete, you know, you have experts everywhere coming around and trying to persuade you to do something new and innovative. And you're always like, you have to, You have to be open-minded and take that information because it may be Mm life-altering but it's up to you to filter that through and figure out is that information worth keeping or am i throwing that out or do i save it for another time you know and so you know i took an analogy of like if i have when i was an athlete i had like three hours of training you know you have three hour gym session so you say it's perfect because it's it's tangible metrics with with exercises Three hours, it takes yep. it. So if somebody comes to you and is like, hey, this is a new, innovative way of training or what's going on and all this stuff, and, or a new exercise, doesn't matter if it's your trainer or somebody else or whatever. You're like, okay, well, so I have three hours of, of training. What does that replace? And most of the time, like 99% of the time, they're like, well, can't replace any of this, you have to do this. And you're like, okay, so I don't need your garbage. Like that's a great idea, but like yeah. my plate's full. Yeah. Right? Find me something that replaces the foundation in my skiing. Yeah. Or that way in the gym. So yeah. I was like, let's let's start deleting things. So literally I had them like dancing, we had sang, we like we went and had fun skiing. And we did some buddy system stuff where we watched each other skiing. We started talking about how how what, what we're doing well in our skiing. And and then complementing each other and then fi- holding each other accountable for the next couple of runs so we could continue doing that. And, um, you know, I brought, I brought up, you know, stories of just of, you know, where, well, we, we talked about, we did this talk the other night where it was the confidence competency loop. Right. And I'm like, you have to build confidence right now. You guys are in your examination year. And you guys are working on competence. You guys are continually trying to create more skills. Where I was like, I had to have a talk with them. I'm like, you guys already have the skills. The skills are there. You already made this level four academy. You had a ski off. You're good enough. You passed the ski off. You're good enough to be in the level four. So what are you doing trying to create new skills? All you can do is refine like by a percentage or two. And the refinement only happens if we build confidence. So actually, you're not even here to learn new skills. You know the skills. You're only here to build confidence. So what are we gonna learn? How do we build confidence? And we're building confidence through uh, you know, repetitive skiing, becoming fluid in our skiing, learning how to pressure the ski in different terrain, uh, becoming free in our mind. You know, Like getting that, that, all the skills to work intuitively And then once you work intuitively i started saying like listen guys we're not now we're not focused on anything when we don't focus on anything granted okay i said listen you get one cue and the thing is in the cue, you get to focus on that one thing before you start the turn okay or before you start skiing down the hill so visualize that use imagery what does that feel like how does that look to you really use it then think about it for a sec then go ski because What we need to do is adapt to the terrain and adapt to a bad turn. If you do a bad turn and your ski washes out or you pop, or how quickly can you fix that? Well, you can fix it by the next turn if you're not full of junk trying to ski better. You can adapt, right? So now you have to, okay, how can we be proud of ourselves for adapting quickly? Because we don't know what we have to adapt to at the start of the run. So if you think that you're gonna prepare at the top of the run, Well, you don't know what you're preparing for because it hasn't happened and it might be different. It might be icy over the slope or it might be bumpy or it might be something. So the it that you're adapting to, we don't know what it is. So it's how quickly can we adapt to that terrain and how quickly can we be aware of that? So it was like clearing our minds so we can be better at adapting to our circumstances, either our skiing or the terrain or the light or whatever. Once you do that, that's how you build confidence. Once you build confidence, why don't we go back to video and stuff like that and see how we're skiing. And the confident version of you will likely only have like one or two things it needs to work on. And now you will really know what skill you now need to add in to your skiing instead of just chucking the kitchen sink at it. So yeah. that's what we worked on today. I mean, that was a long thing, but that's what we did.
0: Yeah, I, I, I,
1: I thought that was really cool. Like at first I
0: was like, you lazy so-and-so, like, you know, <laughs> but then I was like, actually, and I spoke to one of the guys and he was like, it was just what I needed. Like the, the delete, 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 delete thing. Like we all know in our day-to-day lives, like you know, people come up and offer you this new thing and you know, this extra thing. And you just, you can only take on so much. And so I think that's really sound advice for a lot of people probably listening that are in the same kind of boat and, and they're struggling to get to that what they what they want to achieve next and it's a great approach that uh that confidence building thing and yeah I wish I was in, in your group yeah but you, you
1: touched on it today <laughs> yeah yeah because in your in your presentation at the end of the day you were talking about surfing and everything and you had said you you literally forbade him it. it was so great you you said. Well, I didn't want to work on any skills or anything because I've I've tinkered with those quite a bit that I'm just working on staying present and following the terrain and, and going over the terrain. And I was like, well, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. So you're in the confidence building cycle yep. you're in your learning right now, you know, like... And for the most part, that's where we should be. We yes. shouldn't be in the opposite cycle. Yeah. Right? That's... So it's one thing when we have... That, but this is where these people came here to be coached, but they're all instructor-based, right? So now now I'm not trying to preach here because I'm new at all of those things, but what I'm seeing is that they're so used to getting somebody for four hours or three days or whatever, and they have to give them information, right? Where when we show up to a four-day event where there's good skiers teaching good skiers, well, that's now now a, a coaching approach. So we don't need to just give them the, the inf- our side of the information they already know, we need to refine the information they already know and create it into more of a competency loop and with confidence where it's actually their intuitive skiing. So we need to just help them create it to be more intuitive. So that's, yeah, like that's kind of where I, I feel like the coaching side of my skiing really pays pays dividend here where Definitely. it's it's the two side where i i love that back and forth there's always a time and a place for both
0: if you're serious about stepping up your skiing skills listen up i've been working closely with the carve team for over four years and they've just unveiled a groundbreaking feature active coaching mode and here's the lowdown launch it at the top of your run and go through a quick calibration with 10 turns and it sets a baseline just below your current skill level From there, every turn is a challenge, adapting on the fly to your skill, terrain and conditions. No fluff, just a gamified experience pushing you to ski better every turn. It does this by using a super thin insole lined with small pressure sensors and motion detectors. It's like having a personal coach analysing your every move. And here's the sweet part. If you hit a hot streak with excellent form and you're in for double or triple points, It's addictive, rewarding. Like I said, it's a very gamified experience and it transforms every run into a step towards better skiing. If you're intrigued, and you should be, check out Carve and dive into Active Coaching Mode. Just Google Get Carve to find out more and as a bonus, enter code GELLY15 to take 15% off. It's amazing. I've heard from the Carve team that now nearly over a third of the users are using Active Coaching Mode when they go out and ski with it. So why not give it a try yourself? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Cool. Hey, sort of. Uh, so now, like, like switching gears, or oh, maybe not even switching gears. You you mentioned, you asked them what what are your strengths, and they didn't even know their strengths. What was I know you you've mentioned it. I I didn't know this that you were the best glider in the world. At 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 one point. How, how does that look like? I mean, obviously you're just fast on a on a on a flatter ski. Is that a fair yeah sort of description? How would there be two things you could teach me, or maybe encourage me to go and do if I wanted to be a better glider? And you know, do you think that would help seeing my skiing? Do you think that would help my skiing?
1: Sure. So, yeah. 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 So. I mean, being the best glider in the world, um, you know, is up for debate as always. I mean, when I was, win- I mean, I was winning lots of gliding sections. So it's pretty, it's, I have a fairly good argument yeah. during the time that I was winning a lot of the splits, I'd have to give my, my teammate Eric Gay a lot of credit. Cause he would, we knew when we were gliding and we were skiing the best, we were like one, two in most of the gliding sections. But there were guys like Walcoffer right at the beginning that was also quite good at gliding, and Denarias came in through there. There were a couple guys here and there, but consistently, I would have to say, like Eric and I were were in the top, and and there were two years for sure that I was, yeah, I was unbeatable on the flats. I mean, I literally I could be like 32nd on the pitch and then win the the flats, which also which means that I won the flats with. Like 37th amount of speed yeah, coming okay. off the second, you know, like, so okay. you're like, wow, that's, that's uber fast, you know, like, yeah. so.
0: But how, how, like, have you got, like, Princess and the Pea feet? Do you just, like, feel the snow that you know, like, how to, like,
1: not create as much, fr- like, how does that even work? Yeah, there's a couple, there's a couple tricks. Yeah. Um, a lot of racers just inspect and then inspect the flats, just like, like I'm just, just going to breeze down.
0: through it. Oh, this is flat. I need to look at it. You
1: really have to look at the smallest little inclinations in the snow and you always want to run a flat ski. So let's just say, for example. Use a course.
0: Give us a course. A course. Where, you, where
1: yeah. like, okay, like in Garmish. Okay. Um, the the second flat area, like you've kind of gone I don't know, it's probably where like maybe 35 seconds into the course. It gets quite flat for a long time. So you do a little hop and then there's um, two gates that are pretty much straight. So we're going to go like 150 meters, you know, 500 feet straight. But there's probably a tiny little bit of slope uh, that's canted to the right there. Uh, It's not much, but I would say that it's, Couple degrees. It's probably more than a couple degrees because outside and whatever. But it's you wouldn't really notice it unless you stopped, paid attention, r- truly paid attention. So if I want to run a flat ski down that slope, then I need to actually run my ski pointing up the hill, right? And I actually have to ski a little bit sideways. No way. To the point. That no way.
0: Like kind of, s- almost like the most minute side slip. St- i mean it's not really but yeah so like
1: in in that hundred meters i would probably aim you know a meter to the left is it is 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 a little bit like a golfer putting in a way yeah absolutely okay so i would aim my skis and i would drift sideways but we're talking like one meter to 100 meters so like you know it's it's, but you would drift your skis um to to the point that you want to get back to in a straight line and that's it takes a lot of guts but it's also it's it's because it's sketchy because you could catch edges and stuff you got to run a flat ski kind of sideways like that too so that'd be like one way Mm -hmm. Uh, the other way is you you have to make really sharp turns and people kind of get lazy on the flats and they make a little longer but you, you can cut off lots of distance on the flats but you can only cut off the distance At the top of the turn so lots of times like let's just say I'm going straight towards a gate I would I would never ski towards straight towards the gate which lots of people do in the flats I would ski aiming maybe two meters out six feet out and then I would actually like visualize as I'm coming to the gate that I'm gonna ski kind of behind the gate so I would do a sharp turn into the gate yeah and so you give yourself the depth, like it's like a, a glider's version of the depth yep. to ski just like into it. Yep. And you cut off quite a bit of distance because after the gate, you'll, you'll save a lot of elevation and then you have a lot less late pressure. And through that, then what you can do to the next turn now is do what the same thing that I was telling you where you would aim to a different point and then ski sideways down to it. So you gain a little speed, you cut the distance, and then you ski sideways down to the next point
0: did did someone teach you this did you intuitively know it did you have a coach that was like hey this is you need to start paying attention to this like why were you doing it and not
1: others um well i don't know what everybody else was doing i have no idea so uh it actually happened i was a good glider i was always very good at finding the, the bottom of my skis um just i i found it and you don't need to like wiggle your toes or anything you just you just need to find the bottom and then have a very good tuck like be comfortable skiing in a tuck that is fast so like lots of wind tunnel testing you know lots of like being in a in a tuck position and then when you're scared and you're skiing and you're doing get maintaining that that position that you know is the fastest it's easy to to be lazy on that yeah and, you know, just with jumps and terrain, like always making sure, cognizant that your hands and stuff are very close to you. That I learned easy for Darren Ralphs. Darren Ralphs did that. Like he was the man at at keeping so compact, going over terrain, uh, staying in the air. His landings, he was always so good at staying compact from being in the air to his landings. He was super cognizant of that. So I, I would watch him a lot. I learned a lot from, I mean, Darren, I mean, D-Money's man, he's like, He's so good at skiing already. It was like one that you had to watch, but he did all the little things that lots of people got lazy at. So I would watch him a lot, and, and he would help me too. He was such a great mentor like throughout my whole career. I mean, he didn't have to talk to me, you know? I was yep. just a punter when I started on the World Cup, and he always gave me the time of day, and was, was a really, um, really great uh, ambassador to the sport, and for helping me, and just just, he was always great. But he did that really well. And I don't know where it was, but I know in Chamonix, which would have been one of my first, well, the first World Cup I ever went to, there's a turn, um, and unfortunately, I, I blew my knee on that turn, actually, too, but there's, there's a turn, it's a left footer, it's quite close to the bottom, and you go through a compression, and you come up the hill. And I watched Walcoffer one time go up the hill, and because you literally go up a hill, I was like why is he skiing way up the hill and then it it kind of basketballs and then and then gets down to the gate he like skied way up and then skied over and it's blind so i was like oh he must have just screwed up or whatever i had no idea because you can't normally it's it's not so steep of a of of a a side side hill. hill yeah but that one's a bit steep of a side hill and i was just like oh interesting And I was like, well, that would make sense to kind of ski it sideways. So I did that, and I went up the hill, and I skied it sideways, and then I won that split by, like, something stupid, like two, two two-and-a-half tenths of a second in, I think it was my first World Cup. And I was like, oh, that worked, because it's uphill. So now you have an edge going up a hill and then landing on a side hill, with it with a long flat section, but if I aim to go up the, straight up the hill to the higher point, I now go up the hill without edge,
0: the gliding on and the then flat. I
1: land flat and I ski sideways down to the gate. <sighs> now I've not put the edge in the snow for like sixty meters of skiing, seventy meters of skiing, with like a kilometer left of flats to the finish area, and I, it was so fast that I was like, oh yeah, okay, well whenever you put your edge in snow it's slow so it's always figuring out like how you can do it without putting your edge in the snow so yeah maybe that's how i learned it i don't know but it's i've when i look back i always think oh that's that's the the turn that i think i learned how to become a good glider to one of the best gliders yeah
0: reading the terrain
1: really well in in terms of keeping that ski flat to glide yeah and just learning how to generate speed in your tuck most guys can do it but you know for whatever reason i was i was a lot really able to do that well yeah
0: is there is there in your opinion much difference between like the speed guys and the i guess the tech guys the slalom gs guys in terms of like what i want to ask is is the maybe the camaraderie or is is there a difference there in like the attitudes of say the speed guys versus the attitudes of the slalom tech guys at, at World Cup events that sort of thing? Or is it are they all are you all kind of friendly? Can you speak to that? Is there anything? In yeah, there? we
1: all we all get along. We're we're friends. You give me a fourteen year old kid, I'll tell you if they're a speed skier or a tech skier. Though you know oh, right really? off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. Ninety percent of the tech skiers are one kind of personality, and ninety percent of the speed skiers the speed skiers are are. Uh, a bit more like like sloths. Like, we can go fast, but like two minutes at a time. Uh, just like actually, like the, the actual personality. We're like very calm, uh, collective, forgetful. Uh, kind of there, kind of with it, but not really. Like... We're totally, I mean, you have to forget. You forget the dangers, you gotta forget. But like, I don't know, we're just a group. And now I don't want to like sandwich us all right into that. But we're all of a somewhat version of that. Um, where the tech skiers are like fidgety, uh, a little bit more like A-type. They, 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 they work on their, their their equipment guys. They love working on tweaking things. And they just they just they don't sit still. Yeah. They get up, they move around, and it's just they're just that's what they do. So when we're in a hotel together, like we don't really hang out because they freak us out. (laughs) Like when the tech guys come in, like when the Canadian tech team would come into our hotel and the speed guys are there, and we're all like laying around watching Netflix doing nothing, and these guys are out and about figuring out like some new roller exercise that they figured out and how they're going to balance on it and then jump over to a ball and do like somersaults and but they all like we're we're like so mentally tired from all the the video that you have to do and like all the training runs and these guys just come in and they're trying to stay so quick on their feet they're like it oh it is like like it's so it was so mentally draining to have the tech guys around so at race and they know it they they know they are like you guys are the laziest group like that's just where they're at so uh you can tell you lump them together yeah yeah that's that's no problem now the you know there are skiers that that you know break that rule but for the most part it's it's hilarious and uh interesting yeah it's funny man
0: um I just got reminded of uh we're at the bottom of the the gondola about to come back up at Le Massif and I So back to the CSIA training stuff I said is there anything you picked up and learnt from that training that you think could have helped you perhaps not with all the 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 speed stuff but more tech event stuff do you want to comment to like what you sort of discovered there
1: yeah definitely I think one big thing that I that I learned through the CSAA was was finding a different spot on my ski uh and and then being able and when i say different spot with the speed skis you you're always there, there's only two, you there's a pendulum swing but it's super far forward and then to the middle if you're in the back you might get squatted out you're going to go off a jump you like there's terrain there's no back the back doesn't exist but i was never able to even in super G you could move that pendulum swing a little farther back into the ski GS even farther and i think slalom even farther you know and I'd never really got that. And so for GS especially, I would always stay so far forward on my ski that I had a great top of the turn, I had a great apex, but I could never transition the end of the turn to being that productive to get to the other side, So I, uh, to start my next turn. So the linking was never really there for me. and And because I never moved far enough back in the ski so kind of what I learned through the whole CSAA was how to use the full side of the ski. Like, oh, there's not a front and a back, but there's actually like a side to the ski, which is, which is so ridiculous to think like, you know, 18 years on the World Cup and somebody had never really thought about it. I had thought about it. But to truly like take days and days and days of like uncovering what that feeling feels like and then what you could do with it and in what conditions and what skis and being like holy smokes like there there was literally one side of the ski I wasn't using and that that's yeah that's crazy I think um it would have been super helpful I mean I was very lucky to not lucky but I I worked my ass off but I you know I won a super g race uh, world cup and I, and I, I did get a world championship medal in, in super G, but I think that piece of truly figuring that out would have really progressed my super G skiing for sure. would have helped downhill too. I mean, birds of prey, a couple downhills where you really had to link turns. Uh, it just, yeah, it just, I, I didn't have it. I didn't, you know, my tail would wash out at the end of the turn. You know, I was always trying to stay too far forward. Um, you know, it also probably helped me a lot. Like Vangion, I had some great results, and I was I had lots of energy in the finish area. And you stay from the middle of your ski to the, to the front of your ski, you maintain a lot of energy. So there's a time and a place to use the side of the ski. So you would have had I would have had to break that down a little bit more. Uh, but there's definitely some merit to it. I'm sure if you asked a really good technical skier, they'd be like. Man he's an idiot for not knowing that that's yeah. like that's just what you need to know <laughs> <laughs> but uh
0: like how cool is that that just still learning about about this sport that you've dedicated a lot of time to and uh yeah, discovering some new feelings and new ways of using the equipment today right
1: yeah, and even in a carve turn, like when you think you're the expert at a carve turn that you just maybe couldn't do it as well as you know another twenty guys in the world or whatever, but like no, there's some, I, I, I've always, actually now now that I'm truly uh, involved in, in CSAA or ski instructors and stuff, I mean, there, there are so many great skiers within the ski instructing world uh, that I, I, I wish we had utilized them more. I think, you know, you and I have talked a lot about, you know, the difference from teaching and coaching. And there were a lot of times that we just, I mean, I was coached for my whole life. And I'm not really even sure when the teaching even came in. I think it's just through so much time. Um, And you know, the teaching, like what we we talked about, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, because you're much more technical with this. But the teaching is is the the acquiring of new information and skill, where the coaching is refining the skill. Correct? I think Mm -hmm. that's that we've pretty much defined it on give or take. And I was saying this the the other day with with Kelly Vanderbeek and and um, Sherry Lawrence. We were we were having a drink, and I was like, "Hey, you know, like." I, they were like, "What did you learn uh, from from your whole CSIA?" And these these were old teammates of mine, and they were like, "Oh yeah, one time we were forced by our coach to go ski with this ski instructor in Europe for like four days, and we actually these World Cup skiers, and they were like, I think we learned more about our skiing in those four days." than I ever had. Like that was the best four days I ever had to improve my skiing. And you're like, well, clearly there's a, there's a gap in this model. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what it is, if it's just an ego issue on the racing side or what, or, or maybe just there's so much information that, you know, it's easy later when you've got the mental capacity to learn new stuff on snow to say, okay, I can do that. But when, you get off snow at the end of the year, you get a couple of weeks and then you're in the gym and you're doing all the nutrition and you're doing like everything else. There's not really a time when you're like, hey, you know what really would float my boat right now? A couple more days on snow or the ski instructor, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But you,
0: it's like a good point. I think both when you brought up today, being with a bunch of level four candidates and your, your sort of, ability to perceive what was going on there and that what they actually needed was the delete button and to really just be coached yeah into some confidence like there's there's there sounds like there's a real place for a bit of cross-pollination to go on there but yeah we're not we're not here to solve that that issue we can no, just put no, it out absolutely. in the podcast world and someone else can <laughs> can take that on if they want to um Hey man, I've been really appreciative of your time and uh, both in the podcast here and hanging out and skiing together. It's it's been really cool. If people want to uh, find out more from you, like is that what what are you up to these days? Is there is there anything? I know you have uh, like a, an online ski store. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then so that maybe you can mention that, and then anything else. Uh, yeah, if people want to maybe potentially ski with you.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I'm right in Canada. Um, we have an online store, headracingcanada.com. And uh, pretty much any any racer, I mean, the reps are generally located in areas that have high population. And uh, in Canada, there's a lot of areas that don't have lots of race teams. So racers can go onto there and they can, they can buy all of Head's racing equipment at the rep discount and they just get it shipped to their house. So it's super... Streamline and easy, and it's been really great. And uh, I run a couple camps at the beginning of the year, some preseason camps at Panorama. Um, they're uh, invite only, but, you know, if anybody reaches out and they fit within the, the group and, and the, the skiing ability, um, definitely always interested in, in uh, seeing if, if that could be an option, and that's a U16 okay. uh, uh, camp. And then, yeah, you know, we're just, man, I, I'd love to say that there's there's a way to, I mean, you can definitely contact me if you wanna go skiing. I mean, my calendar is booked. I mean, we're off to Kitzbühel after this, and I'll be in Japan skiing, and I've got um, some a race in Aspen, and I've got a group going heli-skiing. I've got another cat-skiing group uh, this year. I just booked another cat uh, this week, and I booked a heli-ski this week. So. There's lots of uh, ski hosting, corporate hosting. I do public speaking. Uh, Yeah, I'm busy, man. And, you know, in between all of that, like, all I want to do is, like, hang out with my kids and ski with them. Or actually, man, if they want to do somersaults in the backyard, that's all I want to do with them. So that's, that's, it's busy. But uh, yeah, please reach out if, if, uh, if there's an opportunity to go and ski with cool people. um, That's what, uh, you know, that's what floats me. Yeah yeah
0: awesome i think that's really cool the i didn't realize that's what your your store was it was really to help people that don't have maybe they're not in the most prominent areas like a whistler or something where there's obvious reps for the for their ski racing equipment uh, they can get in touch with you, yeah, but I, yeah, get what you mean. We're ch- chatting to you, yeah, you probably don't. You got a lot. You got a lot on your plate, so it better be pretty cool if you want to <laughs> <laughs> entice you to do something. And and I can definitely testify to your uh, presentation skills. You you're you're a good uh, presenter and entertainer. So thanks very much. We better get to bed. We got a, another busy day. I got a flight at five a.m. And uh, yeah, thanks very much for for listening to the show, everyone. Have a great day.
1: Yeah, man.